0: This is what we generally do. We pick sections of Scripture and books of the Bible and we study it all the way through. And we're in Psalms. And before we left off for our vision, we were at Psalms 23. And so we picked back up this morning at Psalms 24. Uh, Before I get started, just let me give you just a couple of bits of advice, because on any given Sunday, you need to realize that there's varying peoples with different personalities, varying degrees of education, varying degrees of spiritual maturity. And so when I'm preaching, I have my sheep in mind as I prepare the message. And so sometimes I say things that might go over your head, and sometimes I say things that may be to love. These are really designed. so much we try and we work hard to design sermon notes that'll help. And these are really designed with someone who needs the most notes. So I encourage you this morning, if there's too much on here for you, bring a notebook to church with you. If I was in the congregation, that's what I would be doing. I would have a blank sheet of paper right now, and I would take notes. And so I urge you, however God has made you up, use it to grow and to understand his word. Stand with us now, as we have already been singing his word, we've already been singing the gospel to ourselves. Let us write our minds and our hearts and pray for his mercy to understand and to receive the beauty of God's word. The Psalm of David in verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads. O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So God, as on that day when you entered the King, your kingdom, the gates, we stand in silence this morning of who you are. O God, our Father, who sent your Son, grant to your people today to see who your Son is, what your Son has done, and where your Son now sits. Grant to your people rest to understand one day your Son will stand up. And when he does, it will be absolutely wonderful and absolutely terrible. God grant peace to your people whom you have redeemed for your glory by your Son. And grant it through your word today, through the power of your Spirit, work among us. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Anytime you start a psalm, it's helpful to sort of before we dive in, sort of get your bearings, bearings on what is this psalm, as we know. This is Hebrew poetry. It's written like poetry. Would have been a hymn. This hymn celebrates God's kingship, especially as it relates to his people. Again, we see in this Psalms the word the Lord, which is Yahweh. We see this morning that he is the Creator King and a Warrior King, it leads us should lead us to one conclusion that he must be worshipped. Now the way the poetry works here is there is groups of related lines they call them strophes. This helps you, not unlike what Pastor Mike is talking about as they write music. There's an art to that, so it is in this poetry. We'll see that in a minute. The Jewish Talmud, not scripture, but helpful, explains that the Jewish people had a psalm for every day of the week. The reason they did, one of the reasons, was when they were in Babylonian captivity, the gods, the multiple gods that they worship, would worship different gods in different ways every day of the week. So to combat that culture that they lived in, they would pick a psalm, and this was the psalm that they would sing liturgically, on Sunday. But in the Christian tradition, it is far more specific. This, is a, this was sung on Ascension Day, which is 40 days after Easter. This is because believers have always known that the king of glory has a name, and he alone is to be worshipped. You see, good theology always brings a man to his knees, because it is there he repents. And it is there he is given the privilege of worship. So we want to see. This is the way it works, brothers and sisters. I hope you see it this morning. As you get a clearer picture of God, you will also get a clearer picture of yourself. And it will be both wonderful sometimes and very confusing at other times. That I need to worship this God. But how do I worship this God? And it is that when the good news is good. So I want us to see this morning, very simply, this this song is broke up into three parts. First, the King of glory is sovereign over the universe. Then the King of glory must be worshipped, but he must be worshipped in the way that he prescribes. Then the King of glory himself prepared a way so that we might enter into his presence and rest. So I want us to see, look at verse 1 and 2 to start with. The King of Glory is the sovereign of the universe. Verse 1 The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. I want us to see to start with that the King of Glory has sovereign ownership. He is sovereign and he has ownership. He is absolutely sovereign. I heard a pastor one day preach a whole sermon saying that the word sovereign is not in the Bible. You know, and I'm sitting there going, Do we know what a king is? You see, a sovereign is a person who has supreme power and authority. And so I would say again, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. He is absolutely sovereign. Psalms 136, and this is just one. I mean, you could have just thrown almost a dartboard with the scripture on it and seen this. Psalms 136, verse 5. It says to him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, steadfast love endures forever. The very earth that you stand on today is not yours. It's his. The very air you breathe is not yours. It's his. He's absolutely sovereign, and he has absolute ownership. Look at the word fullness. And the fullness thereof. The fullness could mean its harvest, its wealth, its life, even its worship. The point is the fullness is that He is the owner. Everything in it. He is the possessor of it. He owns it all. Look at the end of verse 1. The world and those who dwell therein. He's not just the owner of the world. He's the owner of you. This is really important because these psalms have parallels. They're broken up oftentimes in these two or three lines, these related lines that are related to each other. I want you to see it. So look at verse 1. The earth is the Lord's. Now look at the second line in verse 1. The parallel to that is the world. So the earth is the Lord's. The world is the Lord's. Now look at the second part of verse 1, the fullness thereof. You see that? Now look at the second line. The parallel section of the words of that is, and those who dwell therein. So when you put the first line and the second lines, the parallels together, the earth is the Lord's, the world is the Lord's, the fullness of the world and those who dwell in it. This is the way it was written so that we can understand this holistic nature of God's sovereignty and his ownership over all things. This is all through scripture. Isaiah 45, verse 18 teaches us this. It says, For thus saith the Lord who created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. Then God says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Not only is he the sovereign owner, this king of glory created an orderly world. His language is specific here. He does it with, this, with these strophes and these parallelisms that's inside of these two lines in verse 2. Look at it. You sh- I, want you to, I want to read it. I tried to read it beginning in such a way. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it Upon the rivers. Do you see it? You see the break and you see the parallels? He has founded it and he has established it. Upon the seas, upon the rivers. Founded means, this is, this is an amazing picture here. We already said he's sovereign. Now we're saying he's a creator who laid the foundation. This is a picture of building a house. He's laid the foundation. He's poured the footing. And then he's erected the structure This he speaks of the universe. He laid the foundation for it. And he prepared it. He made it. He erected it. Says the psalmist worshipping Yahweh. Because the universe is not random, chaotic, or accidental. It didn't just so happen with no creator or no designer. That an orderly complex universe emerged. Saying just the opposite. This should bring to you, if you flip over, we're not going to read all of it, it should bring to you Genesis 1, this word founded and established, just let your eyes gaze, verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light, God saw that there was light, look, God separated light from darkness, called the light day, and the darkness he called night, verse 6, let... Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate from the, from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters. God called the expanse heavens and it was the evening and the morning was the second day. He created it. He ordered it. He named it. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place. And here it is. Let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. He named it. He created it. He caused it and it's His. This is orderly. This is founded. This is not random. This is not evolutionary. This is God created and it was so. This is God. This is the one. You see, He's contrasting at any time in culture, in the Canaanites' day, they had this chaotic, hostile nature that it was that it was in in war with each other. All these polytheistic religions with demigods and and they were gods of nature they were always fighting each other and they were getting mad at the people and they would oftentimes even offer their children up to appease these gods this yahweh is anything but that he is sovereign he is orderly he has established it and colossians 1 16 says he has a name speaking of jesus In Colossians 1, 15, we see Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Just a point of application. It is high treason to the king of glory To not give Him glory for that which He was created. And parents, we need to teach our children to love God with their mind. Your children have the right and the biblical warrant and command to not be silenced when it comes to who created the world. This is how they worship Him. We will not be silenced in our schools or our universities. The earth is the Lord and the fullness of the And we must not refuse to acknowledge it. And take what it costs us. All glorious things derive their glory from their creator. And so the king of glory must be worshipped. As the all wise sovereign creator that he is. So can you see this this morning? Are you humbled by this fact? That Jesus Christ is the creator sovereign king of glory because this is what understanding good theology causes you causes a question if you ask this question before it's a good question how can I even get close to this kind of God how, if he's that sovereign if he's that good if he's this holy if he's this powerful why would he want a relationship with me and so we see that the king of glory because of who he is, must be worshipped. Man is the only created thing that has ever dared defy this king. He must be worshipped. But here we see, but, there's a but, but only with a pure heart. So this causes a question. We see it in verse 3. Two questions, same question, different ways of saying it. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall Stand in his holy place. It's another way of saying who can come into this king's royal presence. You see, Jerusalem and sometimes the temple and sometimes both were seen as, as the symbolic place of the presence of God, Yahweh, this covenant God. So let's be careful, let's not mix our metaphors and get confused. To ascend the hill of the Lord is to worship God, to come into his presence. And brothers and sisters, we need to be careful. Because it can affect the way we see God because we have such a crude, rude way of dealing with those that God has put in office. We treat the office of the president with disdain today depending on who's there. And God has commanded us. I'll put them there. They are to be honored, prayed for, and obeyed. Some would say that when Nero was in, in the kingdom. It's still true today. You see, the problem is, in that day, everybody understood. No one would dare dishonor the king. No one would dare say sovereignty is not in the Bible. Who understand, who lived in a kingdom... With the king who had sovereign rule over his kingdom and over his people. We've said this is Jesus. question is who can come before him? You see the word stand? Who shall stand in his holy place? Back to Psalms. Turn with me to Psalms 1. I want you to see a contrast here. I've already looked at this. This is the contrast of this word stand. Who can stand? Psalms 1 verse 5 tells us who can't stand. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. We're going to talk about it at the end. But your growth group lesson today clearly teaches you that there are two promises that God makes. There will be some who stand and there will be some who do not. And there's no in between. And so the answer to the question comes in verse 4, those with clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands mean innocent hands. It means hands that are, that are innocent of wrongdoing. Again, a contrasting is in Isaiah. A contrast of what clean hands does not look like. Isaiah 1, verse 15. This is God speaking. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Here's the point. Clean hands is expressed from a pure heart. The hands are governed by the heart. Your actions are governed by your nature. Yes, we are all free to choose what we desire. The problem is, what are you desiring? Man, because of what he is, his nature desires what he wants. He desires to be his own sovereign. Outward holiness, you see, is a mark of inward grace. For God expects his people to have clean hands and a pure heart. This is the expectation of God's people. Remember Matthew 5, 8, the Beatitudes? Matthew 5, verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Remember when we went through Matthew a good many years ago? We said, when you see, for they shall see God, you can read, for they and they only shall see God. Proverbs 23, 7, like the King James here says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Spurgeon always has a way with words. He says, dirt in thy heart throws dust in the eyes. This pure heart has an action. You see it in the end of verse 4. Who does not lift his soul up to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. A pure heart has a, has a contrast. It is To have a pure heart means to hate all that is hypocritical. All that is not authentic. That's why Jesus had the harshest things to say to the most religious. The posers. We should be truth bearers and truth seekers. just why he uses this negative example. Not to lift up. You know what lift up means? It means to seek it. That people who are going to live in his presence are not supposed to seek what is false. What are they supposed to seek? Well, look down with me at verse 6. Such is the generation of those who seek Him. Who seek the face of the God of Jacob. This is what the people of God do. They seek Him. Loyalty to God that begins in the very nature of man. single-mindedness devoted to Yahweh and to Him alone. Some said perhaps no place in Scripture is such a picture of the true character of a true Christian. So listen today. Because many people seek blessings from God. Those who seek Him and not His blessings receive His blessings because they receive Him. You seek His blessings, you will prostitute your God. He desires those who seek Him. His blessings come with Him. You see, there's an important pause we must take now as believers. Christian, Christians are by nature as vile as any other person. It is a heinous doctrine. It is an ignorant doctrine that would dare teach that those that are saved are saved because their nature was a little less vile than those that are not saved. Absolutely not. Ephesians 2:9 says, "By grace you are saved." You are not drowning in the ocean. You are dead at the bottom You are not almost sick. You are not terminal. And you needed someone to give you the right medicine. You were the dry bones laid on in Ezekiel. That it took God and His Word through the Spirit to put you back together again. That's who we are. We are, verse 5, grace receivers. Grace receivers. He will receive blessings from God. He will receive righteousness. You see, those are the parallel again. Verse 5, first line, he will receive blessings. Second line, and righteousness. Those are parallel to each other. Second part of verse 5, first line, from the Lord. Who's the Lord? Second line, the God of his salvation. You see, in God's saints, grace alone reigns supreme. They ascend the hill as receivers, not givers. You don't bring anything to God. We only ascend to heal because of what the King has given us. We wear what we have received. We do not wear what we've earned. It is grace. They receive righteousness, which is mercy and justice. And they receive blessings, which James says, any good and perfect gift that comes down from the Father of lights where there is no shadow due to change I want you to see this, though. You've got to go to Revelation. Revelation such a deep but beautiful book. If you want a book that reminds you that you are not God, read Revelation. Revelation twenty two fourteen, 14, and then try to hold your place. We're going to come back here in just a second. I want you to see something. First, I want you to see what we've received. Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Mm. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? We've been studying it for six weeks. Only the redeemed. Only the redeemed. Only those that have received righteousness as a gift. So the answer to the question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord after examination as do I have clean hands? Do I have a pure heart? Do I seek God or what God can offer me? I, we would have to come to the understanding that no one can enter into God's presence. As a matter of fact, if you haven't come to that conclusion, you've not really seen God. Psalms 14, flip back there, he's already said this one time. Matter of fact, Paul in Romans comes back to this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Look at verse 2. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. There is no good news unless we are clear with the bad news. So great a barrier it is between you and God that God had to send a warrior king to prepare the way for us. And that he did when he sent his son. So that we might find rest in His presence. You see the setting. As Pastor Micah has already told us. One of the, way, of the settings that they think was true. That way they were coming back from a war. Victory. The ark was always in front. They were ascending to Jerusalem. To the temple. They were celebrating. God gave them the victory. Some thinks it was David too. When he brought the ark back into Jerusalem. No matter the setting, they had in mind the temple or Jerusalem. The point was clear. God's people always live in great anticipation of the great king. David understood this, David understood his part in the Davidic covenant. That God had promised them. There was coming a one from his line. Whose kingdom would be without end. And he looked forward to that day. And he looked forward to that king. He looked forward to Christ. He understood it. He longed for it. And here we have. This picture. Of the king of glory. Himself. Ascending the hill of God. Why? Because fallen man could not. Couldn't. So we have this picture. Of this great representative man. This better Adam. Who says lift up your heads. O gate. Verse 7. Lift up your heads O gates. Be lifted up O ancient doors. That the king of glory may come in. Now if you've held your place in Revelation 22. Go back there and look. This, this God, this man, Jesus, ascends the hill. Lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, so the King of glory may come in. Revelation twenty two fourteen 14 said, Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. We could not enter it. Save Christ entered it, but because he entered it, we might enter. What grace is that? These last verses show us a picture of this warrior God that had to go through a war to ascend the hill of God for us. Because he had to ascend the hill with clean hands and a pure heart. Why? Because we can't. It's none of us who's ever had a pure motive. Even if the good things we do are contaminated by bad motives. Which contaminates the good works and therefore makes it sin. We needed someone to go before us. This was Christ. His life, His death, the tomb. Who is this King of glory? Verse 8. It says, The Lord. Strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Looking forward to fall retreat because this is what your students are going to be studying. It is this picture of the warrior God who fought a battle for us. 1 Corinthians 2.8 is very clear with who the King of Glory is. It says none of the rulers of this age understood this for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Remember at Pentecost we've been studying what scared the people to death when they realized they crucified the Lord of glory and God raised them up again. Who is this King of glory? Turn with me to Isaiah. You need to see this. If you've never been to a point, brought to a point of weeping over this text, you don't really understand it. Isaiah 6, verse 1. People were undone because the King Uzziah just died. It says this, In the year the King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, two covered his face, two covered his feet. And with two he flew, and one called to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And look in verse 5 what happened to Isaiah when he saw the Lord. He said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. And for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It's the same language in Psalms 24. An angel took coal from the altar and touched his lips. This is the King of glory. Revelation 1, the King of glory speaks when he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. In chapter 19, verse 16, it says, This same King of glory has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the King. This is the King of glory, our warrior for us. He fought the battle, you see. Why are we thinking we're still fighting it? Christ has fought the battle. He has already ascended the hill. The battle's won. You see, you know a warrior. By the battle, he has fought and won. That's how you know a good warrior. It's not the shirt he wears. Look, I'm a warrior. No, show me your scars. Show Show me the battles. Which battle did Christ fight for us? Just sin, death, hell, and the grave. And he won it all. And yet I know it's possible and should be even likely that we could, someone could be sitting here saying, I should never enter heaven. I I don't have clean hands. I don't have a pure heart. That's right, you can't. But Christ has already entered it for you. So we look to Christ. He's already climbed the hill, He went in as a forerunner before us. The gates have been opened. For all who follow him, I love what Spurgeon said. Faith in Jesus is the work of the Holy Spirit that has all virtues wrapped up in it. That with our faith in Christ comes that which we cannot produce in our own a new heart power of regeneration that comes a new heart and a new spirit that he puts within us that causes us to do what we could never do he gives us a new nature so we can enter into worship but I want you to see today that this place is a place of rest it's a place of peace you know this story. Because I'm afraid sometimes that we stop at the resurrection. And it was. That's the battle. His perfect life, lived perfectly, pure hands, pure heart, his whole life because you couldn't. He stood in your place. You know what that means? <laughs> it means that you deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus took the wrath of God. It means your sin created a debt that you couldn't pay. So Christ paid the debt completely. He did not leave you empty. But he gave you what you did not have, which was his righteousness. He filled you with God. All of this he accomplished through the life, death, and through his resurrection. But do you know... Having rose again, he was seen by his disciples and more than 500 other people. 40 days after that, he went up on a hill and he promised the disciples, How, I'm, how I leave is how I will come. And he ascended to heaven. Listen, truly God and truly man. This is the context. Of why Christians celebrate this psalm, because it was God, Jesus the Son of God, and Jesus the man who ascended into heaven. And here is what we read this scene at the gates of heaven. Lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Can you hear it? Who is this King of glory? What man would dare walk up to the gates and demand that they open? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. For the first time in all of history, the gates of heaven opened up for a man. Good place for a sailor. Don't you know there was silence in heaven When Jesus the man And Jesus God Walks up to the throne And ascends it and sits down And listen There he sits And Ephesians 2 says Because we are in him we are with him This is the authority That he speaks of in Matthew 28 It's the authority of of what the Bible calls in verse 10, the Lord of hosts. You know what that means? The Lord of armies. Actually be translated of what we say, the Lord of Sabbath. We call the Sabbath day a day of rest, but understand it's what Scripture says. Romans 4:29 says he was delivered up for your trespasses and raised for your justification because he went to war is the only reason we can have rest. Need to understand this. Today is a day that you should be celebrating the finished person and work of Christ, and you can take a nap if you want to and not celebrate that fact. That's the point. The day that we celebrate that this presence of the divine warrior in my life right now brings me peace and brings me rest. This battle is over. And I don't have to fight it. The victory is won because he's already won it for me. All that remains, listen, it's the picture that made them write the song. All that's left is the procession into the kingdom. And this, he says, one day, when I stand up, I am coming to get my own. The question today is, are you prepared to meet him? Growth group text is is Revelation 19. Let's flip there. I just want to prepare you and let your growth group tease the rest of this out. I hope you're part of a growth group. Because this is their text for today. Look with me at verse 6. I just want to prepare you. I want you to understand that this is coming. Two things are coming. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sounds of the mighty of peers of thunder, crying Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Isaiah 54 verse 5, just listen, says, For for your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is His name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. This is so beautiful if you understand the storyline of the Bible. The more we long to be with Him, the more we desire to be like Him. Are you seeking Him or are you only seeking His blessings? What does the bride seek? What does she seek? the groom he's the one we seek don't seek what he offers seek him and when you find him you will get what he offers I'm concerned if many of us are even following the real Jesus because we don't come to church and read these, these psalms and these scriptures that talk about his sovereignty we have a mud puddle Jesus Mud puddle Jesus. You know what he is? He's just that guy that stands at a big mud puddle that you can almost jump over, but you really don't want to get your shoes wet. So if if you take a run and jump and you work real hard and you give all your might and you do everything you can do, he just reaches out his hand. And and if you reach out your hand, you can take his hand and he'll help you jump over the mud puddle. Is, Is that the gospel that someone's been giving you? Because listen, that's not the gospel. We don't have some little Jesus begging for followers. We have a king sitting on a throne. And he's going to get up one day and he's going to come back. And his own will celebrate him. There is another group of people. Revelation 19 verse 11. The scene changes at a snap. And though... There's a wedding feast, and listen, there is a shut gate. The doors are open, but one day when the king stands up, the gates closes. And then I saw heavens open, and behold, a white horse, the one seated on and is called Faithful and True, and in his righteousness he judges and makes wars. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he was, And there was a name written that no one knows but himself, He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name which he is called is the word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, will following on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Following Jesus leads to the throne room, and there will be celebration. And for those who reject Him, there will be only judgment. The question is not whether that scares you. The question is are you resting in Christ alone right now? I'm concerned that too many of us was said, just pray this prayer and you won't go to hell. What is that? Because it's not Christianity. Christianity is following Jesus. The mission of God is telling teaching other people how to follow Jesus. Do you want Him? Are you resting in Him alone? If you're on that treadmill or trying to ascend the hill, can you pull that red button on that treadmill and stop? He's already done the work. Matthew 11, 27 Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm not offering you a yokeless life. There is not one. It's not. But he says it's easy and it's light. Because the king of glory has promised us to be with us wherever we go. And he is enough. I love the scene in Revelation 19, John's trying to take this all in and he sees an angel and he falls down on his face to worship this angel and the angel says, oh, no, 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 no. Can't you just see him standing them up, writing them and saying, worship God. The same Jesus that we read in Psalms 24 will... Stand up one day and bring every single one of his precious ones safely in the gate. And the gates will be shut. And two things will happen. Celebration and judgment. Are you prepared to meet your God? And if you're not today, I can only offer you the blood of Christ. that will take away your sin. Put your faith in him today. So, Lord, we come to the end of this time.